Tanse, Oki, Bonjour, Hello. My name is Chantal Chagnon. I am Cree, Anishinaabe, and Métis from Muskeg Lake Cree Nation in Saskatchewan, which is in Treaty 6 territory. But today, I would like to welcome you to the land of the Treaty 7 people. This land was known as Mokinstis, which literally means black, or in Blackfoot, it means elbow, because it's where the Bow River and the Elbow River come together. It's a confluence where people would come together for trade, for ceremony, to build community, and to learn from each other, and in a good way. I would like to welcome you to this territory, the traditional home of the Blackfoot of Siksika, Gainai, and Pagani, the Sarsi Dene, or the Beaver people, from Tsutsina, and the Stony Nakoda from Morley, which includes Chiniki, Bearspaw, and Wesley First Nations. We're also walking in the footsteps of Métis Region 3, which is why I proudly wear my Métis sash to act as that bridge between Indigenous and non-Indigenous culture. When we acknowledge the land, we're acknowledging far more than that. We're acknowledging the history that has been here for time and memoriam, the stories that are steeped into this land, and the knowledge that we have to share and to learn from this land and from each other. When we acknowledge the land, we acknowledge the responsibility that we have to the land and to our future generations, and the relationships that we can build together to thrive in a good way for all people and all future generations. I acknowledge this responsibility, I acknowledge these relationships, and I acknowledge all of the people who make Treaty 7 their home. To welcome everyone into the circle today, I wanted to share the Cree welcome song. Traditionally, when we sing songs, we sing in rounds of four to honor the four directions of the medicine wheel. But this song is a little bit different. We actually sing it in rounds of three. And that's to keep the circle open and welcoming so everyone completes the circle today. Because in a circle, we're all connected. There's no beginning. There's no end. No one is greater or less than anyone else in the circle, just like in the hoop of life. So it teaches us to honor each other for those differences. Because if we were all exactly the same, the world would be incredibly boring. <laughs> and nothing would ever get done. So we need those differences. We need everyone's strengths within that circle and everyone's weaknesses so that we can learn how to be better. Miyasin, which is the Cree welcome song, is from the Natahau family from Sturgeon Lake Cree Nation, which is in Saskatchewan. Um, actually, it's on the border of Saskatchewan and Alberta. And I honor that family for keeping this song alive and for keeping the story behind the song alive. Because for so many generations, we weren't able. We weren't able to share our stories, to share our songs, to speak our languages, to share any of our traditions, to practice our ceremonies, or to even be who we are. The regalia we wear is a reminder of our stories, and it's an honor to be able to wear those again today and in public and to share all of these stories and these teachings with everyone. Mia Sin, which is the Cree welcome song, doesn't just mean welcome, it also means beautiful. Mia Sin, Mia Oh, my, keep us 
destino. Mi hacen, mi <laughs> My cat does that all the time too because it calls in the ancestors. Yeah. And so she's, she's like, ah, she's like, girl, <laughs> who are these people? <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> this song does call in the ancestors, so your cat's like, you left the door open. You <laughs> <laughs> left the door open totally. My cat does that too. If I'm like, if I'm doing my live stream, he'll come up and like, in the middle, and I was like, Loki, no. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Oh my god, I can start over, which is no, it's okay. That's great. That's so perfect. That's why we did a a live recording instead of just putting in the one we already did for that real time. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So funny. Especially because I'm very, I know some people who are, whatever, involved in any type of esoteric practice or whatnot, are just very chill. And they're like, whoever comes through, it's fine. Like, I don't care. (laughs) I'm not like that at all. I'm like, if I didn't specifically invite you to come here or someone else didn't specifically invite you, you are not welcome. Get out. (laughs) Like, I'm very serious about that. So she's probably also like, what's happening? Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh my God. Not used to having a lot of like, you know unfamiliar entities visiting I guess. Mm. yeah and i got a lot of ancestors that follow me around <laughs> like yeah. hey what up <laughs> i bet because you're doing like such important work that they're probably like yay let's follow you and mm. you know be supportive and i don't know maybe be like look that's my great great granddaughter you know look at how good she's doing <laughs> i feel like it it's yeah. a lot of energy to be walking around with <laughs> That's true, it is. Do you mm-hmm. find that when you enter a room in, like, a normal situation, everyone's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do have pink hair, so maybe that's part of it. But, wow. no, it's just, yeah. like, my presence. Yeah. 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 I think it's important. you got to just come in and own it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think lots of people have pink hair, but not lots of people have <laughs> the entourage. <laughs> yeah. I feel weird when people fangirl, and I'm like, that's so weird. Don't. I'm just, like, a human, like... Bring it in. I'll give you a hug. Like, it's weird. Yeah. Oh, was I doing it? Sorry. Mm-mm. I probably have, though. No, no, no. It's me. cool. <laughs> it's cool. It's funny. I think it's important to just be like, you know, be humble and be like, mm. you know, welcome people in. And if they're excited to see you, that's a beautiful thing. It's a gift. But be like, I'm just normal. Actually, no, I'm, nobody's normal. There's no such mm. thing as normal. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. It's great to be weird. I would say it's be weird. It's awesome. Exactly. It's you. <laughs> I think it's so interesting when you're doing the land acknowledgement and when anytime you talk about sharing the practices and everything, you always use the phrase in a good way to learn from each other in a good way to, it wasn't thrive, the word that you used, but essentially, right? Like in a good way is always added on. Mm -hmm. I think that's so poignant for when you're using words to make things come into existence that you're then going in a good way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because you can learn from someone in not a good way, too. <laughs> this is true. There are some hard lessons. So you have to really be sh- be careful of what you ask for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Such a good point. I think it's very similar to the practice of 
saying like for the greatest good of all with harm be to none like so it is or whatever it's very similar kind mm. of, it seems like it absolutely yeah well i mean it's all earth-based practice and i think that's really important True. to acknowledge because i mean in nature you know nature's just doing its thing it's not about good or bad it's exactly. just doing its thing <laughs> you know mm-hmm. but we have that ability to recognize good or bad within each other and within the things that happen to us or the way, things that happen to other people so we have that choice to make with how we're asking sure mm. that's a great point mm-hmm. oh okay i'm gonna finish the song because i feel weird when i don't oh okay oh. yeah go ahead <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I'm actually just gonna start from the beginning because there's some ancestors that are like, <laughs> "Hello, what is happening right now? <laughs> what is going on?" They're yeah. like, "What?" Mm? Sorry. <laughs> oh no, that's okay. It's just like I feel it's like one yeah. foot, you know, one yeah. foot in the door, mm-hmm. and you're just like, eh, sh- "Should it's, I? Shouldn't this I?" Is not the Macarena. <laughs> Like it's the hokey pokey, man. They're like, I don't want to do the hokey pokey with the ancestors. That's not kind. <laughs> so I'm gonna restart this song. She's probably gonna be like, "What is happening?" Yeah. <laughs> She'll get over it. <laughs> She'll probably come back. To probably. Yeah, and she'd be like, "I'm just gonna I'm keep an eye on these guys. <laughs> this whole crowd." <laughs> awesome. Because I hear like knocking behind me, so I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I'm very giggly, <laughs> like inviting in contrary grandmothers as well who like to make make a ruckus. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, <laughs> the best. Me a sin, me a Oh 
Roma Kitaskino Hi, hi. Welcome to the circle. Hi, hi. Wow. That was amazing. Wow. No, somebody made me cry. What's happening? <laughs> I definitely have I'm, the feeling that my kitchen is full of people. <laughs> yeah. I can't do anything. Or do like a water. Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, that was weird. It was just like, I felt like just this wave of emotion. I was like, oh, somebody wants to talk to you. Hmm. Good. I'll play back the recording and we'll hear a different voice on it. Or you might, you might. Mm-hmm. When my voice was cracking, I felt like somebody was speaking behind me. I was like, <laughs> I heard your voice cracking, but I assumed it was because you needed water. I didn't realize you were crying. No, no, I was crying a bit. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. It's good crying. Crying mm-hmm. is is a good thing. Like um, in our traditional teachings. There's nothing wrong with crying. We have to do that because it shows that we care. And it's unfortunately our Western society that sees mm-hmm. it as something wrong. But it's not. It's a beautiful gift. Our tears are a beautiful gift because it shows we actually deeply care and our emotions are coming out in a good way. Yeah. Definitely feel that. Mm-hmm. Nothing better than a good cry. Absolutely. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, especially when you're like laughing and crying at the same, t- same time. There's something really... <laughs> really powerful about that you know because you're acknowledging all of those emotions that are coming out all at once i feel like people make that joke about cancers being like they're like how to be a cancer (laughs) like crying (laughs) laughing crying laughing and that's me i'm a cancer so i'm just like yeah my son is as well it's so emotional all the time it's like everything is just this is the end of the world i'm like i just asked you to do the dishes (laughs) it's <laughs> not the end of the world <laughs> I'm like honey if you don't do the cat litter I'm going to take away your computer why would you kill me <laughs> like oh my god <laughs> well I must have been a fun teenager yeah. <laughs> okay I'm going to in- actually introduce you now Okay. <laughs> the only voice you've heard so far on this podcast is that of our guest today Singer, storyteller, drummer, drum maker, teacher, and all-around pillar of the community, <laughs> Chantel Stormsong, Shen Yang. Is that right? Shen Yang. Yeah. Shen Yang. It's like you're going to say my name again and then stop yourself and go, yo! <laughs> <laughs> Shen Yang. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's a good way to remember it. <laughs> yes. So welcome. Thank you so much for coming over. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) It's our pleasure. We previously did a drum making workshop with Chantel. John and I made drums. You'll hear some recordings from that on this episode. Why are you looking at me like that? That's just my face. That's just my I, I was actually making a face because I was trying to place when that actually happened because it feels very recent and also a million years ago. Yeah, it does. It was start of July. Yeah. Yeah. Almost two months ago. Right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, almost two months ago. Yeah. Two and a half ago. It does feel like a while ago, though. It does. It's just yeah. that we're still in the weird COVID period where time is 
infinitely meaningless. <laughs> Time has always been meaningless. People are just mm. starting to like get on board with that mm. now. <laughs> But I think the Western society, it's like, time is linear. And then in yeah. Aboriginal culture, we're like, now everything's a circle. Like, it'll come back around. Just just wait for it. Yeah. And if you don't learn the first time, it's going to come back around. Like, bite oh, us yeah. in the ass again. <laughs> That's so true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Time is a circle. Isn't it so strange how so many different like ancient teachings all have the exact same lessons with only even a very slightly different phraseology sometimes. Like, I think it's, I can't remember the exact quote, but in Buddhism, they basically say like, you'll continue to like suffer the same lesson mm-hmm. over and over until you like mm-hmm. learn to transcend it. Just keep coming back. Absolutely. And there's so many different stories that tell you that. Like if you keep making right. the same mistakes over and over and over again, and that. That's like all indigenous practices, all indigenous ways of knowing and being from around the world. They're like, yeah, stop, stop screwing this up again and again and again. Yeah. <laughs> in, well, in Anishinaabe and Cree, it's like the Thunderbird's going to kick you in the ass. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah, she totally did. Because I find like sometimes if we second guess our path, like mm-hmm. there'll be like gentle nudges and then harder nudges until finally it's like, no, we're done. <laughs> Yes, and that happened to you recently. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Ten years ago, I hit hit by a truck because I kept denying the path that I was meant to be on. But had it not been for that truck hitting me, I wouldn't be on the path that I'm on now. So I'm very thankful. You know, I mean, it it sucked getting hit by a truck and having four major hip surgeries, but it did put me where I am now and doing the work that I'm doing and um, sharing and meeting incredible people like yourselves. (laughs) Yeah. We think you're incredible. (laughs) You guys. (laughs) Yeah. It's true though. Like it's, I don't know. That almost speaks to your steadfast attitude of like, no, I've made this decision. This is what I'm going to do to the point where spirit had to literally hit you with a truck (laughs) to get you to do the thing it wanted you to do. Well, I think sometimes that that has to really happen to everybody. You know, they oh, sure. they always yeah. second guess their path, like their true path, because they're like, oh, "There's no money in that," or mm. I don't know. It it's almost like our society tells us that we can't be happy, <laughs> and uh, when we're doing something we love, we think, "Well, is there something wrong with us?" When our path is easy, we think, "Oh, well, we must must be on the right path. It's too easy." Um, but I think that's something that's kind of been ingrained in us from colonization, right? Colonization mm-hmm. took all of these indigenous practices and teachings and we're like, well, no, you have to suffer because Catholicism, we <laughs> suffer. Oh, that's great. <laughs> in indigenous ways, we're like, nah, if it's hard, don't, don't freaking do it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so true. The Catholic guilt. Mm-hmm. Mm. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Catholic guilt, but not accountability. Yeah, it's so ironic, isn't it? <laughs> the guilt for you, but not for the people who were in charge. Yeah, right? Yeah. The guilt for them. <laughs> who are doing, like, oh, atrocious things. Absolutely abhorrent. Which is and awesome. for so long, just constantly. Mm-hmm. It's pretty oh. much a major theme of this podcast. That's true. We're always shitting on the Catholic Church, the police, etc. <laughs> like, just different... <laughs> we just keep coming back to it. That's very true. Well, I mean, there's your ingrained, you know, aspects of colonization and the Catholic mm-hmm. Church and Christianity in general. Mm-hmm. And the whole Crusades, 
that was part of colonization. How best to colonize the people will you bring the church in? Because the church can like steamroll everything and then I'll be accountable afterwards because they're doing it in the name of God. Oh, mm-hmm. that's so true. Just mm-hmm. hide behind that collar. Yep. Mm-hmm. And still, I mean, it's entrenched in all of our systems because they're all colonial systems mm-hmm. based on this Catholic mythology and methodology. Mm-hmm. Like patriarchy. Like, yeah. screw that. Mm-hmm. Then. <laughs> it is literally like the Catholic church is just the. I don't even know. Like the headquarters for the patriarchy. It it's like the vehicle. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, everybody get on board this bus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everybody get on board this bus. We're going straight to hell. <laughs> Are you people of color? Get in the back. You know, oh it's my God. brutal. It's brutal. <laughs> it's true. But now we have a black lady on the $10 bill. So everything has changed and fixed, right? Yeah, but does mm-hmm. she look all better? On the $10 bill? She doesn't. And honestly, she. It's funny because there's so many other incredibly monumental uh, people mm. um, who are racialized that you know, have really made incredible changes in Canada. And then they're like, let's put the girl who sat in the front of the theater. Yeah. <laughs> and mm. You're like, um, no. The like, Canada Rosa Parks. Yeah, exactly. Story well, why didn't you just like have a whole series of, you know, incredible change makers mm-hmm. on a bunch of the bills instead of a bunch of white dudes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me started. Oh, kids <laughs> playing hockey or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, it should be playing lacrosse, lacrosse and have really long braids because that would be more accurate. Mm. <laughs> um, so you didn't... It, getting hit by the truck wasn't how you actually started learning these teachings and sharing them. No. Correct? Um, I started it beforehand. <laughs> Before the truck hit me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, every time I was, you know, sharing culture or teachings or stories or singing, um, everything would just flow. You know, it was almost like I was in a river and it was just taking me where I needed to go. Mm-hmm. And of course, with, you know, I was raised Catholic, which was horrible. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, I got actually expelled from the Catholic school system. Yay, me! <laughs> Mainly because um, I poked holes in religious theory because I was really into archaeology. So... <laughs> Uh, we have so much in common. <laughs> yeah, so it was a good time. Uh, plus, I was indigenous, so it was just like, yeah, no, we're gonna, we're just gonna tear a strip out right out of here. <laughs> and so, a lot of my teachers were like, no, this shit doesn't fly. <laughs> but other than that, um, it almost when things are too easy, you worry that you're doing it right, you know. And I think that's something that's been ingrained into everything. And so, when I made drums, it just came through me. When I was singing, it just came through me. When I was storytelling, it was just coming through me. And I was like, oh, this can't be right. You have this weird moment where you're like, is this from my ego? Um, and then when I went to consult elders, they're like, no, no, it's it's legit. Like, you're two-spirit. Of course you're having teachings coming through you. Mm. Because this is traditionally the role of a two-spirit person in any mm-hmm. of our nations, was to carry those teachings forward, was to embody all of those teachings, and to be able to share them and hold them um, and teach them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we were always the teachers. Um, but I always second-guessed that and doubted that. I'd always had a lot. Um, I played, especially as a two-spirit person, nobody um, 
was accepting of that. I mean, I grew up in like the 80s and the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, you're what now? No, get out of here. <laughs> you know, yeah. bye. What's that? Get out of here. That's not so, a choice. <laughs> no. Yeah, I remember too. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, luckily I didn't go to any of the pray the gay away camps. But um, Lord. yeah, when I came out to my mom, she's like, you ruined Christmas. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Like it's it's fucking August. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so it was we had a moment, and then she's like, "Okay, well, you're gonna have to get out." I was like, "Okay." So uh, I was homeless for about uh, six or seven months, um, and then uh, a friend of mine beat the shit out of me, and I called my mom because I didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually my ex girlfriend that beat the crap out of me, and my mom's like, "So where are you?" And I'm like, well, you know, this park just on 17th Ave. And she's like, are you pretty badly hurt? I'm like, well, I'm having a hard time walking and breathing because she kicked me in the ribs a few times. She's like, so bye. I can still have grandkids. I'm like, yeah. She's like, okay, I'm coming to get you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was just like, so that was it? That was, you just wanted me to have babies? <laughs> I mean, now you do have babies. I so. do have babies. <laughs> I have babies that aren't even, you know, they yeah. were not mine, but they're mine. Yeah. <laughs> So it was, uh, it was funny because like two years later I got pregnant and she's just like, oh, <laughs> I don't want to be a grandma this early. I'm like, Careful what you ask for. Woman. Yeah, truly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there's always been that stigma um, attached like in our family and within indigenous communities. We're finally starting to come in, like to see that these are important teachings, that these are important ways of knowing. And a lot of the elders that were holding those teachings really close to their heart are finally open to sharing them which Mm. is just such a gift not only that but the two-spirit people that are present are sharing more and more and more and consulting with elders and the elders are like yeah these are teachings that we thought were almost gone so it's Mm. um it's been an incredible transition period but we've known that this was coming for a really long time um i mean there was been prophecies about what was going to happen across turtle island since you know, the dawn of any of our teachings, of any of our stories. And, um, you know, we're, we're said to be in the time of the seventh fire where, um, you know, all of these trials and tribulations have happened to indigenous people, but we're at this fork in the road where we have a choice. We can either go down that path of materialism and into the fire where we're, it's the destruction of all beings on this planet and all people, or we could choose the other fork in the road, which is back to the way of creator, back to the way of relationships with the land and with each other and those traditional teachings and traditional ways of knowing where we can actually speak to the animals and the plants again Mm because there's some indigenous people that have that innate ability you know and sometimes i do sometimes i'm like oh hey that plant's talking to me i guess Mm -hmm. i better go hang out Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know um but that's an anishinaabe prophecy of the seventh fire which Mm -hmm. we're going through into the eighth fire but there's also the rainbow warrior prophecy which is a Cree prophecy Mm -hmm. which basically says when you know the world is at its darkest moment there's going to be um a tribe of many, many colors. So indigenous mm. peoples from all nations, not just, you know, First Nations of North America or mm. Turtle Island, as we call it, but all over the world that are rising mm. and coming together to bring back balance to nature, bring back balance to the relationships that we have with the land and with each other. Um, there's also the Hopi Rock prophecy that says, you know, <laughs> if we keep going on the path that we're going, we're going to just fall off that cliff. Mm. Or we could take this other path where, right. you know, we're walking with creator, we're walking with, you know, the plants and the animals mm-hmm. and all of the relations and 
we're going to be in a better way. But there's so many different prophecies, not only of North American indigenous people, but, you know, in uh, Australia, they have something that's very similar to um, a Hopi rock. Um, but they've known this for many generations that this was coming. And they mm. said, you will go through so much hurt and pain and trauma and sadness and loss, mm. but don't lose yourself. Don't lose your identity. Don't lose your ancestors and recognize mm-hmm. that they will be there when the moment is the darkest. And so um, even New Zealand has it. Um, so I'm actually hoping uh, to visit New Zealand and to visit Peru. I've been invited to Peru. So I want to learn from the elders out there because I think it's important mm-hmm. to share those teachings with each other because totally. we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, if we don't know that, I mean, it's so short-sighted. Even right now in Brazil, the indigenous people out there are, oh, yeah. are fighting mm-hmm. <laughs> like so hard against this bullshit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's basically legalized genocide, which is yeah. the same thing that we've been under in Canada for like, well, since, since colonization Canada. happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Since Canada. Well, like, Before. Like, yeah. Last Before. 100 and yeah. something years. Uh, but the Indian Act basically was legalized genocide. Mm-hmm. And right. it had some loopholes, which is why we've been able to hold on as much as we have. Mm-hmm. But the Brazilian government is t- basically sealing those loopholes and saying, if you're indigenous, you have no sense of identity. And just basically selling them up the river uh, to make way for industry. Yeah. But for the first time in history, Brazil, uh, the Amazon has not only become, a, it's not no longer a carbon sink, it's actually, um, it's leaving a carbon footprint. And this has only happened in the last seven months. Jesus Christ. I know. So our world is screaming. You know, this is why everything is on fire. This is why, yeah. you know, all of these viruses are coming forward in a big way. They're like, yo, 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 pay attention. Mm-hmm. You know, the Thunderbird is... Not liking the path we're on and trying to like nudge us, nudge us, nudge us. But what the hell is going to actually wake us up? What's going to hit us with that proverbial truck? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> I truly do. But the only prophecy of the ones you've listed that I've even that I'm familiar with at all is the Rainbow Warrior one. I have heard that one before, but I didn't realize that there were. Oh, I mean, I'm not surprised, but I didn't actually know that there was specifically a whole bunch of different kind of parallel prophecies. Oh, it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, those are only the ones that I can list off my top, the top of my head, but right. there are way more. That's wild. Because there's like the uh, condor and the eagle prophecy from uh, Peru, where uh, the condor and the eagle, like the eagle's from up here and the condor's mm. from down there, but when they soar together, that's when they're going to view a great destruction of the planet, but then a rebirth. Mm. And same mm. with the Quetzalcoatl in um, like Mexico mm. and um, in through like the Aztec and um, Mayan regions. They have very similar prophecies at this time, mm. even though they're not here. Mm. They knew they wouldn't be here. And a lot of their prophecies are like, we're not going to be here in this time, but this shit's going down. <laughs> mm. You're maybe familiar with that, hey? Just yeah. yeah. Well, and it, it is very interesting. Like Mexico's an example where the country is officially mostizo or like Métis, which was basically a way of allowing the the conquistadors to assimilate all of those those cultures and be like, we're still that, but not really. We're we're Catholics. Mm-hmm. Mm. Breed them out. Mm-hmm. That's what they've done across history. Breed them out. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. 
but they don't realize that those indigenous teachings and ways of knowing go far deeper than just blood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's like that's officially their their stated policy of the country is, is that, yeah, we're all mixed, but then I've walked around Mexico City and <laughs> it is very, very white in the rich places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's common of so many different, like in India, it's like that too a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot mm-hmm. of the people who are really darker. I mean, they, technically, they don't have a caste system anymore, but I mean, oh, no, we even have they that do. here to some extent. You know what I mean? 100%. It's so hard to get out of the air quotes class that you're born into, regardless of where you live. It's probably harder in India, but still. And you definitely see like people who have a lot of money or light skin tone, and people mm-hmm. who aren't don't have it are darker generally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's not a hard and fast rule, of course, but mm. <laughs> I don't know. One of the like my favorite people I met when I was there, um, she her name was Lolita, which is hilarious, and she was a very very dark skinned Indian lady. She's from Versailles or Varanasi, so it's up in the north. Um, and she owned like a thriving business in Mandram Beach in Goa, where I was doing my my uh, yoga teacher training and I went and took a cooking class from her and obviously she owns restaurants so she's I don't know she was teaching us to make like four dishes and I have experience working on a line a busy line and so I was kind of hanging back and letting the other Beckys in my program like have a a hand (laughs) at it you know like I didn't want to just get in there and like take over on them so that they could try and she was hilarious. Like, she wasn't cutting them any slack. She's like, this is burning. Pay attention. This is burning. She's just yelling at them. And they're all like, oh, my God. Like, just freaking out. And then I just was like, can I have a turn? And just got in there and started, like, throwing pans. And then she wa- she saw me do that. And then she was like, I'm pretty sure she, like, at that moment decided you're going to be my friend now. And I went to her place every day because she basically made ice caps, which I was, like, dying for. (laughs) And then I saw her at Holy. I had been walking down this beach. This is also after COVID was already a thing, but not really. It was March of 2020, early March. I was walking down a beach rubbing colored powder on strangers' faces, and they were rubbing it on my face. (laughs) And arms and, like, whatever, all over. Mm. Truly. Like, actively, probably over a 100 strangers touched my face (laughs) that day. (laughs) But I ran into Lolita on the beach, and she was, like, partying with her entire family. And she's like, come here! And she made me, like, drink whiskey with her uncle. And (laughs) it was great. (laughs) And she was, like, probably one of the most successful like actual residents of that little town Hmm. and she's she was definitely the darkest skin tone Hmm. but an exception to the rule well i find as racialized people you have to work twice as hard as anybody else i mean especially as racialized women have to work like four times as hard as everyone else yeah and so um when my girls moved in with me before the pandemic (laughs) this is one thing that i'm like trying to ingrain in them like you have to do better because people will always negate anything that you do. And so you have to do like four times as better as anyone else, four times as good as anyone else. And so like when I work, I work really hard mm-hmm. and I take every opportunity and I make sure I, it counts. 
um, and to try and explain that to them because they've been mm-hmm. raised in, in homes that just didn't get it, didn't understand okay. it, didn't, you know, yeah. they were very privileged, right? And um, to come into a home where I understand, like, you're Indigenous. Like, this is our reality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's going to hit you like a truck because now you're teenagers. Yeah. And so um, I think... I think it's hard for them to kind of grasp and understand, especially because they think we're doing okay. But I'm like, I work every single day so that we're okay. Right. <laughs> you know? There's so much of that with parents behind the scenes. Like, they don't know how hard you're working to make it all happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Until you stop. <laughs> and they're like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> so this is the deal. Like, I was, like, so sick and tired of, like, there's no dishes. I can't make dinner. And so I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, here's the deal. If you don't do the dishes, I'm not making dinner. And they're like, we're hungry. I'm like, suck it up. There's noodles. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, so how long do you want to eat ramen before you want me to cook something? Before you do the dishes. Three days. The answer is three days. So pretty successful process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I don't know. For some reason, that's reminding me of uh, it was during Stampede Week. I was getting off work. It was probably around midnight, like nighttime. And there was an Indigenous or First Nations man there just getting hassled by transit cops for no reason. He's literally just standing there, like minding his own business. And these transit cops are like, get out of here, blah, blah, blah. They're, I literally stood there and listened to them, what they were saying for like a little bit first. And they're basically telling him to just leave. And he's like, but someone's coming to pick me up. Like, I can't leave. You know, mm-hmm. I'm waiting for someone. And they're like, too bad. Get out of here. Like, get a cab. And I'm like, he does what? <laughs> and so I literally went up and started yelling at this transit cop i mean i didn't start with yelling i started with like excuse me what is going on here like this doesn't make any sense i'm standing here waiting for a train this guy's standing here you're not bothering me you're bothering him and i was the cop was so mad his entire face was turning red and he's just shouting at me and it but it didn't make a difference because they still kicked him out Mm -hmm. all i did was make that i mean at least i made him mad i guess i don't know but like i didn't actually changed anything Mm -hmm. but it's also an example of what you're saying like when you are a racialized person just existing and like standing there you're getting hassled Mm -hmm. and when you're white little white lady no one cares that you're just loitering or whatever no for sure i mean i think the further tragic thing is like you were saying they have to work twice as hard to get half the recognition but even doing that it's it's on the terms of like colonization like it is it is our like the institutions of of canada as a state and like i i have trouble trying to explain this to like my family is that like like they'll complain about like protesters and and say like well the the band agreed to it and i was like well the band according to like the representatives as de- like determined by the Indian Act and it's mm-hmm. just like that's not that's not theirs that's ours that's an imposition mm-hmm. then that's no. not what we agreed to we yeah. agreed to treaty yeah and we are not adhering to treaty so anytime no. we go to the supreme court supreme court goes by treaty mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Which is why we always win in court. Yeah. But this is also why the government of Canada always draws everything out because they figure they bleed us dry on, yeah. um, you know, mm-hmm. on legal fees. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we always win. Yeah. I mean, if we look at, you know, people like Cindy Blackstock, she's been fighting on the front lines, you know, advocating for kids in care, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for <laughs> years. Um, because if you're an indigenous kid in care, well, first of all, there is no protocols for the way that you um, apprehend Indigenous kids. You can just take them. And it's illegal, but mm. a lot of Indigenous people don't know that because we are so used to our kids being taken away. I mean, it started with the residential school. Mm-hmm. It started with the 60s scope. And, I mean, even foster care 2.0, which is the res- um, the er, <laughs> it's the residential school 2.0, essentially. Mm. But, um, you know, we, we see uh, a social worker, and she shows up with a cop. We don't know our rights. Our kids mm-hmm. are gone and they're lost in the system, you know, for forever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in most cases, it's it's heartbreaking. Um, and this is just another issue with colonialization and um, intergenerational trauma that just keeps getting passed down and re-inflicted on us over and over and over again. The trauma that is just entrenched in all of, you know, our systems is just, uh, it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And to know the families like we we face this on a regular basis and it's just it's so overwhelming sometimes to feel like you're fighting the system every single day mm-hmm. and to have that in your face every single day you know it's really difficult to kind of try and overcome those things i mean even within our family i was the first person um to break that cycle of intergenerational with uh, trauma with my own kids mm-hmm. so my kids never experienced that pain or that hurt or that abuse um that i experienced growing up because my mom she just didn't have the tools to be a parent because mm-hmm. my cookum she grew up in residential school she didn't have the tools all she learned was hurt and pain and abuse and trauma and that sadness and that shame for being indigenous um and she still carries that with her even when i'm drumming and singing around my cookum she's 90 years old she will leave the room and yeah she's like why are you doing that you look white just pretend you're white except when i was singing with tom jackson then all bets were off because that's like her (laughs) favorite she's like that's my granddaughter (laughs) 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 Really? but if i'm not singing with tom jackson then Mm. just don't pretend just pretend you're not native (laughs) okay oh my god that's really funny (laughs) i mean it's it's funny. Funny. very funny. <laughs> <laughs> so I had just have to like be a Grammy winner before she dies, and she, yeah. she'll be like, "Yeah, we're Cree." Okay, I mean, good. you gotta gotta meet her where she's at. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then you can have the like on your Facebook timeline photo the Cree drum lacing <laughs> as your album cover on yeah. her Grammy album. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Uh, I actually wrote, I was inspired, well, multiple times by the drum workshop that we did, but kind of pretty soon after, John and I went, um, like we drove to Vernon to stay at a cabin for a couple weeks, and on the drive out, I was driving, and I was reflecting on how John had made this Cree moose drum and like the, um, the drum that I'm like I was thinking about the drum workshop while I was driving and the sun was just coming up so the sky was like this beautiful dusty lavender color oh, beautiful 
And you know how the highway going out of Alberta is like, there's like a kind of a shelf of like earth on the one side. So we're driving out and on this shelf was a moose. I watched her, first I watched her walk across the road, like way ahead of me. (laughs) And then she got up on this shelf and she's standing there silhouetted against this incredibly beautiful purple sky with a full moon hanging like right over her shoulder. Oh, wow. Yeah. I had to be like, don't crash. (laughs) Yes, look at it, take it in, but don't like veer off the road (laughs) because it was so beautiful. Yeah. And then I saw a, a short story call for stories about prairie witches was like the call. And so I wrote that in. I wrote that exact scene with the moose, with the moon hanging over it. And like, yeah. Yeah. It was very lovely. Mm-hmm. And I included the teachings that you taught me about the meaning of the moose hide and the drum and that being women's medicine and we're just connected to the moon exactly (laughs) that's why it's called our moon time (laughs) we cycled in 28 days how more sacred can you get right (laughs) layers Mm -hmm. yeah it's lovely which was the drum i made i know it's ironic (laughs) she wrote that her character to have the drum but because you chose the drum that is representative of women's medicine, which is actually perfect for you because of the type of job that you have mm. as a counselor. Yeah. Always taking on other people's mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. and trying to solve them for them. Like, that's the perfect drum for you. Yeah. And the call was for a story about, like, feminism and women's issues. So, I <laughs> like, it makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I might bring a kid by your store this week. Okay. I'll try to look extra scary. <laughs> I don't know. Extra scary. <laughs> Extra profesh. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> extra witch appropriate. So our lovely interview with Chantel actually went on for a total of about two hours. And we also had a lot of uh, clips and songs and sound bites and things from the drum workshop that we want to include in the podcast. So what we've decided to do is to break it into I at least two parts. It might end up being three parts. I think it very likely will actually end up being three parts. Um, so this is the end of the first part. I'm going to play um, the grandmother song, the shout out song that we recorded at the workshop. Um, and please tune back in for the next installment of Chantal Storm Song, the incredible singer and teacher um, next time because there is so much more incredible uh, incredible conversation with her and awesome clips from the workshop. Um, you can find her on Instagram and Twitter at storm shadow song, and you can find her on Facebook and on YouTube at Chantel storm song channel. Okay. Here's the grandmother song. So, um, this song is about finding your voice. This is called the berry picking song, or um, the ancestor song, or the voices song, or the shout out song, or the grandmother song, depending on who shares it. 
I call it the shout out song because <laughs> at the mm-hmm. end you get to yell, which is awesome. You get to <laughs> like find your voice and really like let out your authentic voice, which I think is really, really important. And so um, the story behind this song, this was my elder Carrie Moore. This was her uh, grandmother's song, but I remember hearing it when I was growing up because it turns out that her grandmother and my great grandmother were cousins. So this is why I hear them. And so, <clears throat> Um, a long time ago, <laughs> actually, we still kind of do this today, uh, women would traditionally go berry picking. And so in our societies, we would all be matriarchal societies. And matriarchal society doesn't just mean women are in charge. It's not like a patriarchy where it's like a top down, but it's women are in charge because they make sure that everybody is included in the circle, that everybody's taken care of, everybody's voice is honored and heard, um, and that nobody gets left behind. And so the grandmothers were always in charge because they were just so compassionate. They just loved everybody. And I don't know about you, but my grandmother is freaking scary. Nobody argues with that woman. So, <laughs> but I love her, but sometimes she's scary. <laughs> but um, yeah, so they, they were always the ones making decisions for everybody in the nation because they had the best interests of everyone at heart. And I could see the big situation. Um, and so as everybody would go berry picking, um, it would be the women and the two-spirit people and all of the children that would go berry picking. And if once you turned 12, and you, if you were a boy, you were considered on your path to becoming a man, so you would go hunting with the men. If you were a two-spirit girl um, or somebody who just identified as just two-spirit, you would go hunting with the men as well, but you would learn both berry picking and hunting because you had to fill in the gaps. It was always a blessing when you had a two-spirit person in your nation because that means nothing would fall through the cracks and then they carry both that masculine and feminine energy they carry both those masculine and feminine ceremonies and this is why when i got gifted my men's pipe i'm like of course i did (laughs) of course of course i did um but that was really important and so as everybody would go berry picking the grandmothers would sit at the biggest bush overlooking everybody just to you know make sure they kept an eye on anyone um, but also, they would be the ones watching the babies. And if anybody knows how babies explore the world, they shove everything where? In their mouths. Yeah, so the grandmas would be like, oh, don't eat that dirt, or spit up that pine cone, or don't you want that bug, or get that rock out of your mouth, or are you eating a squirrel? Get that squirrel out of your mouth. Because, you know, that's what babies do. They just shove everything in their face. <laughs> Um, and then the littler kids, like the teeny tiny ones, they would be out, they would be listening to the stories. So there would be elders that were sitting in a group. Um, so some of the elder men, if they were just too old to go hunting, they would be the ones sharing the stories of hunting, which was awesome. And so the kids would be eating more berries than they were actually picking and listening to the stories, and they'd generally be sticky. That hasn't changed in thousands of years. Kids under the age of five are just generally sticky. So, um, <laughs> uh, and then of course the bigger kids, the older kids would be running around, they'd be playing tag or skipping stones or climbing trees or shooting bow and arrows, hopefully they'd nut at each other because that's super unsafe. But, you know, just exploring the world and having fun and playing because that's how you learn the best. And so they were really um, honoring and respecting everything. And then the teenage girls would be off, not really picking and spending berries as they should be. They would be too busy talking about their crushes like oh my gosh did you see that guy's moccasins <laughs> it's like so super cute yeah that hasn't changed in thousands of generations and then of course the moms and the aunties would be the ones picking all of the berries for the nation for the year because like i said in thousands of generations not a lot has changed and so as everybody would get scattered to the four directions and it was time to go uh, the grandmothers would call out but they wouldn't say yo where you at because that would be ridiculous and totally not relevant to the era but they would call out using this voice. And as soon as you heard that voice, you knew exactly whose grandmother you were calling. So I would hear, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, oh, 
that's my kokum. It's not a wounded elk. It's my kokum. So I would call back. <laughs> She'd be like, okay, well, there's Chantal. And then I would hear other voices. I would hear, ha, ha, Sorry. I can't do my mom's voice with a straight face. It makes me laugh. Ha, ha, ha. So that's my mom's voice. Uh, so I was like, that's my mom. And then I would hear, there's my son, Lyndon. There's my cousin, Yvonne. Because I had to Georgie, and she's over there. So as you would hear these voices, you would know exactly where everybody was, and that it was time to come home, and it was safe. Um, but this was really important, because in times of war, or in times of displacement, anything happened, you would have a safe camp, but you wouldn't just wander in and be like, hey, is everybody okay? Because you didn't know, right? You didn't know if it was safe, if your camp was compromised, if you were being followed, so you didn't know. So you would wait until silence fell, and until darkness fell, and then you would call out using your voice. And then I would listen, and I would hear other voices. Ah, I'm my friend Ashlyn. I know they're over there. And then I would hear, ah, all right, there's my best friend, my cousin, Stephanie. And then I would hear, all right, there's my cousin, Megan. She's over there. And then I'd hear, ah, there's my friend Darcy. I know he's over there. Whoop, 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 whoop. All right, there's my friend Michelle. She's a little weird, but she's over there. She's safe. <laughs> but you'd be able to know exactly who it was. And we can still hear that in people's voice. We can still recognize people's voices as they call to us. You know, you might be like walking through like a supermarket and somebody would be like, hey, and you're like, oh, I know exactly who that is. And you turn around, and there they are. Um, and before the ages of caller ID, we would be able to tell who we were. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we need to be able to recognize that and honor each other's voices. It's so, so important. And even we can tell in someone's voice if they're okay or not. So when somebody was calling out, if they weren't okay, if they were in trouble, you could tell. And they were almost like warning you with the tone of their voice. And even now, you go to a friend and you're like, hey, are you okay? And they're like, I'm fine. They're not fine. They are <laughs> not fine. And so um, we still need to pay attention. It teaches us to not only let our own voice out, but listen to other people's voices. And so at the end of the song, um, we're going to um, do a fast drum beat. So this is like a prayer beat or an honor beat. Can I get a drum roll, please? That is us. You're welcome. And, <laughs> um, and then we're going to just let out our voice. And so it might be a squeak. It might be a roar. It might be like a weird animal. Who knows? But um, it's just genuine. Uh, it's genuinely you. And so sometimes when we're looking for our voice, it's really hard to find. And sometimes it gets stuck in places. So you got to figure out. When I'm trying to connect to my voice, it's coming from my belly button, but where is it getting stuck? It's getting stuck in my head because I'm overthinking things. I'm worried too much about what other people think of me, and I'm not letting my genuine self like be heard because I'm just overthinking things. Um, is it getting stuck in my mouth? Because a lot of times I'm just talking for the sake of talking, but it's not my genuine voice coming out, and it's just saying what people want to hear. Um, is it getting stuck in my shoulders or my back? So that's um, those expectations that we put on ourselves through other people. So it's the voices that you put on for other people, whether it be you know, the voice that you have with your family or the voice that you have with your friends or the voice that you have at work. And your voice sometimes, your true voice sometimes gets lost in that. So it's about taking a breath and like releasing that, like spreading those wings and letting out your voice. Um, is it getting stuck here in your heart or your chest? So this is um, where like hurt, pain, trauma, sadness, um, any of that self-love that you need, it gets stuck there. So anytime you've been hurt um, and you lose that self-confidence and that self-love, it'll sometimes hold your voice down. So you just have to take a deep breath into your heart and you have to heal that pain, that hurt, that trauma, and recognize that you, know, you love yourself. You are worthy of love, and that is so, so important. And just let that voice out, because when you do, and if it comes with those tears, that's such a blessing. 
is like, I'm gonna start hearing your tummy because this is your like self-doubt or self-worth or self-esteem. So anytime you're like, I suck or I'm not good enough or oh, that person's better than me. As soon as you start doing that, you're actually suff like you're suffocating your voice. You're pushing it down further. So just know that you're awesome and nobody else is like you. So just be phenomenal. We say, be weird. It's awesome. But uh, if you're not going to talk like that to somebody else, don't talk like that to yourself. <laughs> That's, I think, the most important thing. Or is it going to suck in your belly button because you're not breathing deep enough and you're not connecting to your spirit? So no matter where it is, you're going to find it and you're going to push it out at the end of the sign. And we're going to let it out a few times. And sometimes when you find your voice, you will laugh hysterically because you can't believe that sound came out of your body. Um, sometimes you'll cry because it brings up so much stuff that, you know, it's that release of all of that stuff that's built up. And the older you get, the more stuff you get. Uh, or, you know, sometimes you just, it feels amazing and you just want to do it all the time. This is why I do mine. I do mine all the time. Uh, I use mine at Walmart. I use mine at rallies and protests. Because as soon as I show up on site, everybody knows exactly where and who I am. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, I'm here. <laughs> but also um, with my kids, I can always find them. So if I'm, you know, at the grocery store or Walmart or whatever and I've lost my kids, I'll just call out. And then I'll hear. There's my son Lyndon, oftentimes with video games, and I'll hear, Mom, could you just not? You're embarrassing me. <laughs> okay, there's my son uh, Cloud, usually in the deli, and then I'll hear shuffling <laughs> footsteps behind me, and like, oh my god, you are so mortifying. Mm. I'm like, yes, those are the girls behind me, super embarrassed, but I find them every time. <laughs> and then occasionally I hear, hey, you were at my school. I'm like, yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no matter what, it's just awesome. It's great when you're camping too, because not only can you find each other over great distances. Um, and uh, remember, like the first oh, the I love this song. I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> so we did this again, the holistic herbal gathering. Was yeah. It? Yeah. And yeah. Um, the first day, I taught all of the kids this song. And so anytime we'd lost the kids, we'd just call out and they'd call back and you would hear all of these little yeah. voices coming from all over the place. It was so wonderful. I think the adults were doing it too. Yeah, the adults started doing it after a while. They were like, this is great. But you could find everybody, which was awesome. Um, yeah, and it also scares the crap out of bears. Bears are like, those people are loud and crazy and about <laughs> It's awesome. So uh, in the song, we sing it through four times. It's the grandmother calling out and you're calling back. Um, the third time... We actually get quiet because that's the part of the song where they're looking for their safe camp. And the fourth time we're going to get loud because we're going to celebrate that we found each other. And so are you guys ready to learn some really complicated words? Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Here, be after me. Way a heya. Way a way a heya. Way a way a heya. Way a way a heya. Yeah, that's it. Way a heya. Way a way a heya. Way a way a heya. So we sing that through four times. And then at the end, we're going to do like that fast drum beat. That's a prayer beat or an honor beat. So oftentimes we'll hear in ceremony that fast beat.
Pastor Luna says, listen to the voices of the people around you. You have two ears and one mouth. Listen twice as much as you speak. But when you do speak, speak in your true, authentic voice.